Hello and welcome to the Magical Traveling Mums podcast. My name is Tina and I am joined today by my amazing co-host Colleen. And today we also have a special guest for you, Dan Cockrell, the former vice president of Disney's Magic Kingdom and the author of How's the Culture in Your Kingdom. But before we introduce you to Dan, we want to take a moment to mention our fabulous sponsors, Mystical Dream Travel. Mystical Dream Travel is a full-service, fee-free travel agency specializing in all things Disney, Universal, cruises, all-inclusive resorts, and more. Ready to plan your next vacation? Be sure to reach out to the fantastic agents over at Mystical Dream Travel. Head over to their website, mysticaldreamtravel.com, or look them up on social media. Welcome to the Magical Traveling Moms podcast, where your hosts, Tina and Colleen, talk about all things travel. From theme parks to cruises to all-inclusive resorts and more, they cover news, tricks, and insider tips to inspire your travel dreams. They love to travel and want you to love it too. Find out their best-kept secrets and learn how to make your next vacation extra magical right here on the Magical Traveling Moms podcast. Hey, Colleen, how are you? I'm good, Tina. How are you? Good, good. I am so excited today. We have a special guest, Dan. He is the former vice president of Disney's Magic Kingdom, and he is an author. So welcome, Dan. How are you today? Tina and Colleen, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. I was looking forward to this. Good. Well, we are excited. So we would like for you to maybe introduce yourself, if you don't mind, to our audience. Tell a little bit about who you are and what you're up to. Absolutely. I, so as you mentioned, spent time at Disney most of my adult life, in fact. When I worked there in college on the Walt Disney World College program for a summer. And after graduation, I went back to Disney and started as a, a parking attendant at Epcot. And then I spent 26 years with the company, 19 different jobs, you know, Disney's big on moving people around. And I think that's why a lot of people stay there a long time. You can stay with the same company and get lots of different experiences. So I, I did parking. I, I went to France to be part of the opening team as a management trainee. And of course, I was in parking because that's the only thing I knew after college was parking. And then I uh, spent five years in France working in frontline roles and then I moved back to Florida in 1997 and spent the next uh, 18 years working at Walt Disney World in, in parks. I was in the uh, resorts for about six years. And then my last nine years there, I was in some executive roles in the parks. My last job being running the Magic Kingdom. And then in 2018, my wife and I, well, we, we talked about it for a full year until I got enough courage to think that I could actually leave. And all three of our kids are um, out of the house and we're empty nesters. And so Valerie said, well, let's go do something else. And I couldn't have even imagine it. But I left in May of 2018 and we started our own consulting company. Valerie worked for Disney at the French Pavilion back way back when. And we opened Disneyland Paris together and we got married in France and she was in retail and then she was a facilitator at the Disney Institute. So we, we now run our company and we do leadership training. We do keynote speeches. We do workshops. We do consulting, international consulting, and we are just like living this new life as entrepreneurs the past two and a half years. It's amazing. That's awesome. How is it working together so closely with your wife, with Valerie now? Well, that was a big learning. I'll tell you, we've been married <laughs> fairly successfully for 27 years, like any marriage, we've been, <laughs> okay. but it's been, you know, we've done well, but I didn't, I didn't know how big a change it was going to be to work together because we'd never really worked together. And we are very, we work together very differently, which is great because now that we've gotten through the phase of learning how to sort of respect each other professionally, it's great now. Valerie is, she is an awesome facilitator. I'm the keynote speaker. She is, gives me lots of feedback after all my keynotes. Here's where we can improve. And I've gotten used to that. And I think our audiences, when we, we've done projects together, I think it's very powerful because first we role model a husband and wife working together. A lot of times people, you know, they, they, they learn differently. And I think to see a man and a woman up talking about what we do is very powerful also. So we are, we're just so lucky, I think, to have been able to do this and, uh, you know, be, like I said, be married and also work together. And we need some away time. She goes to France once a year for about 
a month and a half to see her mom. And it's, Ooh. you know, as we say, what's it? The, it's not, it's absence makes the heart grow fonder. So we <laughs> yeah. have those moments, but uh, we've been, we've been a great team and we figured it out. And like I said, we're, we feel like we just got out of college. We have some money in our pockets and we're a heck of a lot wiser than we were when we were 21. But uh, this, like I said, after 26 years in a place like Disney, it's a whole new lifestyle and learning how to be an entrepreneur, learning how to do all the technical things you have to do, learning how to do pricing, learning how to do contracts. Every day is there's like something new we need to learn. And it's uh, really refreshing and exciting and a ton of work. I mean, you know, we, we work a lot now, but um, working for yourself, there's something about that that is just uh, really, I guess, freeing and being independent, which has been really nice. I agree. agree. Colleen and I both work for (laughs) ourselves in addition to the podcast. So it is definitely a lot more work than working for a corporation, but it's work that you truly love and have passion. in. so it's really not work. Yeah, exactly. And the other things we never worried about, you know, I working for a big company, you know, every year there's like, okay, let's sign up for health insurance. Just check the, the boxes and now, mm-hmm. you know, every year now is like a new adventure in uh, healthcare. <laughs> like what's yeah. the pricing, what's the coverage, what's the deductible. I mean, it mm-hmm. took us like a year and a half to figure out the exchange and private insurance versus the ACA and all that kind of stuff. So there's stuff, like I said, we just weren't exposed to before and we've had to, you know, get a lot smarter, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely always a learn, like a learning curve. I almost think on a daily basis. Yep. Oh yeah. You always you learn something new. Learn a lot of new skills to work for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the biggest things has also been marketing. I mean, you know, when you work, yeah. when you work for Disney, you show up and you're like, what do you do? Well, I work for Disney. Ever heard of it? <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, Hey, my name's Dan. Ever heard of me? People are like, no, I haven't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what I do. So um, we, you know, this, this relevancy is a big deal. And I, I know I, I now understand why people say, okay, what's your social media plan and how do you attract customers? Cause I mean, there's just billions of websites and there's so much stuff out there. And I I think for entrepreneurs, it's not that entrepreneurs don't have all the products and services are wanted. You just got to find the person out there who needs what you do. And that's, that's the sort of needle in a haystack piece. And once you get that person and you do a great job, I mean, I would say 99% of our business since we left Disney has been word of mouth. Like I, you know, the, the whole internet banner, someone clicks on the banner and calls me. Just we we tried that. It just I'm sure it works for some people, but for us, you get someone who knows who you are, who you've done work with, and they tell you someone else about you, and now you have credibility. Now you they, they trust the person referring you, and that's how a lot of this business gets done. And I keep seeing these get rich quick schemes online, like just do this and do that, and get this search engine optimization, and you can be making five figures in three months. And I'm like, sounds too good to be true. It probably is. And so, and so I I think a lot of this I learned at Disney is deliver quality over deliver on the expectations of your clients and they will keep paying you. They'll tell other people about you and your business will thrive. And that's, that has been something I learned at Disney that's had, has become probably more important than anything else. I think that's a good lesson to learn, like to stay with you, especially in venturing into a new, you know, business and everything. So, well, let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about your book. So Colleen and I both read, both read the book and we really loved it. I, when I read it, I read it strictly from a business perspective and leadership. And what really stood out to me at the time when I read it was recognition because I was really, you know, I was doing like the same thing. I come from like very similar to you from a corporate background. And so the recognition, at least where I came from, was always sort of the same, if at all. And so I really liked, and I found myself doing that same thing of what I was taught then. So I really liked what you said in the book is just changing it up, making it different and, and doing it for different situations, not making it so regiment. So I really like that a lot. Yeah, I, I obviously I agree. I put that in the book, but I think, yeah. you know, a lot of companies value efficiency. The more you can put mm-hmm. process in place and the more you can make, bring in consistency and the more you can bring in efficiency, it's cheaper, it's faster, it's easier. The problem with recognition is cheaper, faster, and easier isn't real. It's not genuine. And so when you try to build, and there's there's nothing wrong with building recognition programs, but the problem with them is, they become expectations of people. And I found that before where you say, okay, we're going to have an employee of the month. 
And unless the leadership team really puts good thought into it, explains exactly what the person did to be recognized for being the employee of the month, talks about the behaviors, makes it personal, it turns into an administrative task and it loses its value. So what I found at Disney and like in the book, you know, like I think everything in life, there's a, there's a balance. I don't, I don't think, I think we get to too many extremes. We want to streamline everything or we want to make everything spontaneous. And you can't do that either because you got to get things done. So I love the idea of a set programs, but I love the idea also of spontaneous recognition, just walking up to someone saying, Hey, hey, great job. I saw what you just did. And that's great. Or, Hey, thank you for being here on your day off. Here's a couple of, you know, movie tickets, go take your spouse out and thank them for, for staying and working a sixth day during the holidays and having those moments to your point though, it's usually low on a leader's list because they have a laundry list of things they have to do for customers and all the problems they deal with. And somehow recognition gets pushed to the bottom of the list because you don't get a report every month on how you did on recognition. You get a financial report, you get a labor report, you get a sales report, but you don't get a recognition report. So I think, you know, great leaders are able to hold themselves accountable to deliver on all those things. And people thrive, people thrive with recognition and appreciation. Mm -hmm. It looks different. I learned, you know, every culture, it learned, it looks different. Some people like it public, some like it private, some want monetary things. Some people just want to thanks. It's different for everyone, but humans need reinforcement. They need to reinforce that they're doing the right things and they're valued. Nope. I 100% agree with that. And I really like what you had to say in the book and it really changed my approach on in the business and the way that, you know, I recognize our agents and things like that, Colleen she's one of the agents she can say yes or no if I'm doing a good job but but Colleen read the book and she had an interesting take on it she looked at it purely from a family perspective and how these the principles that you set forth in the book can be applied to families yeah I really did and when Tina and I first talked about having you on the podcast as a guest and we were thinking of, you know, what would we be talking to you about? I, I brought it up to her. I said, when I read your book, I really learned a lot about how I could do things differently as a parent. And a lot of the topics that you talked about and the principles you talked about, I just, I could see how they could be used for both creating a productive and positive team in a work environment, but also creating a productive and positive family. <laughs> and yeah. well, I'm glad, um, I love I, the fact you picked up on that. Cause when I say has a culture in your kingdom, you know, kingdoms referring to anywhere you are, it's, it's your family, it's work, it's your church, it's your club right. you belong to anywhere you are with other people can be one of the kingdoms that you operate in and cultures change in each of those. And your point, this is not just about uh, working and career. It can be applied because most of leadership has to do with human nature anyway. And, uh, you know, raising kids is a lot like leading and managing people. And, and I'm not, I, when I say that, I tell people, I don't mean that when people working for you're like kids, but it's a fact that you role model, you know, as a, as a mm -hmm. boss, as a leader, right. the way you carry yourself, you're, 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 you're communicating what you value every day and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And it's the exact same thing as a parent. You Absolutely. Hold, you hold your kids accountable. You give them tough love. You, you, you know, you ground them and then you tell them you love them and you do all the things. And I think if we brought more of that into the workplace and that common sense approach, we, people would be much more, I and mean, not only more, probably more effective and more productive, but happier and yeah. spend a lot of time at work. So I think it's really important to think about that. It does. And I loved how in your book, you said you don't have your work life and your home life. You have one life and you have to learn how to, you know, balance them both and, and make both a priority. And I just, a lot of what you had to say really resonated with me. Like you were just saying about positive reinforcement and, or having expectations, like clear expectations. And that is something that as a parent, I sometimes will struggle with. I definitely read certain passages of the book and thought, oh, wow. Like I can see how I could apply this to my son and be a better parent and help him achieve success and growth by giving him those skills and tools and helping him and help nurture him in that way. So I just, I just really loved the whole message in your book about family. What, what would you say, what principles from the book do, do you apply or do you apply most in your family life? Yeah, well, 
many of them, but you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's really funny when you, you, when you're raising your kids, you always ask yourself, am I doing a good job? You know, I think every parent, well, almost, I think most parents ask them, are we doing the right thing? Are we, all the decisions you have to make, how old will our kids be before they get a, you know, their a cell phone, how late will you let them stay out? And there's all this peer pressure and you just never know, are you being too strict? Are you being too loose? And what I can, what I, what I ended up concluding, my wife and I concluded is, you know what, you do the best you can and life will go on. You know, your kids will, they'll take certain things from you. They're going to make decisions on their own and, and things will roll out after that. And you just got to be there unconditionally for them. And that's something I learned at Disney is this unconditional peace. Even when there's people that I, you know, had to, to terminate or fire for different things, you know, you, ne you never, I don't think you can lose respect for people. Now, I mean, I know there's, there's going to be exceptions to that, but a lot of times we, when someone's not performing, we sort of demonize them and say, they're just not good people. And it's like, no, no, they're good people. They're just not doing a good job. And your job as a leader is to not judge their character, just judge their behaviors. And I think that's a fine line, but the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. Clear expectations. You know, I, I made, uh, and I think I put that in the book. We told our youngest son, Tristan, when he was younger, you know, be home at a reasonable hour. Well, how dumb right. is that? <laughs> you know, yeah. no, right, it's, right. Like, you, it's be minutes. home at midnight sharp <laughs> yes. at the latest, yeah. or there will be mm -hmm. trouble. That is a clear expectation, letting them know that. And then reinforcing that because, you know, kids will just ignore you. You know, you're the parent, they ignore you. And when our kids started working, they all started working when they were 16. They, 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 they worked at Disney and horticulture. They had odd jobs. They were worked in restaurants. They, they always grew up working. And I remember our, our oldest son got home and he goes, man, Disney doesn't mess around. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you guys, if I don't do something, you'll get on me about it and lecture me. But at Disney, the manager said, if, you know, Work starts at six. If you get here at six oh one, just go home and come back tomorrow. If you don't wear wow. your, if you don't bring your name tag with you, just go home. Where do you have time for that? And it, it, they really learned about accountability quickly. So I thought that was excellent. And I'm a big fan of kids working early, getting those work experiences. Just mm -hmm. something as simple as mowing the lawn and paying them for that. They start mm -hmm. to learn the, the concept of money. They learn the concept of work and the pride you bring kids. And that they did something and they get rewarded for that. I think that's invaluable. And I've read articles that said, you know, kids who work for a young age end up often having, you know, a lot more successful careers because they, they know what that's like. They know what work is like. And that's, that's important. But setting clear expectations, building relationships, being empathetic, being, holding them accountable. I mean, that's, that's all, that's all about kids. They will take as much rope as you give them. And it's the same at work. If you're too, if you, if you set clear expectations, but you don't uh, enforce accountability, people will just stretch until you hold them accountable. And so sometimes you have to have that tough love. And I think a lot of younger leaders are afraid, well, if I do that, then they're not going to like me and they're not going to respect me and they won't listen to me. And it's going to look like I'm not, I'm being too tough. And the problem is that that's part of being a leader. It's not always being the, the pleasant person with the conversation. It's the person saying what you did was not acceptable. And I want to know why you did this and how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? And you got to have those conversations. And when you have those conversations, you build a lot of respect and a lot of credibility. And if you've done a good job recognizing people, then when you hold them accountable, they're not going to think you don't like them. They're just going to think that they, they probably did something wrong because you, you've invested time in them before you built a relationship with them. You care about them. So if you hold them accountable, they're going to assume that, you know, what you're saying is true. And, but the big thing I'll say is it's just probably the relationship invest in getting to know people personally. The more, you know, them, the more candid you can be with them the more transparent you can be with them. You don't have to worry about saying something that's going to make them mad because maybe you will say something makes them mad, but you have relationships, so they'll get over it. And uh, that's the thing I tried to uh, teach my leaders that worked for me is the most important thing you can do to hold someone accountable and have them thrive is build a relationship. And after that, you can have arguments, you can have disagreements, you can have celebrations, just like families do, but you're going to stick together through thick and thin because you've invested in that relationship. And once again, the thing that works against leaders is time, time and distance. I don't have enough time to get to know all my people. Or during the pandemic, everyone's at their own homes on Zoom. How do I get to know everybody? And you just right. got to invest the time in that. And just like you do with kids, you have to invest, find the time to spend with them. And that's mm -hmm. how you build that relationship. There is no, there's no shortcut. It's just hard work and focus and discipline.
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I loved that message that you had in your book too, about how you made a point of going to lunch, you know, with your direct reports and making sure that you got to know them on a personal level. And you didn't even talk about business, you know, while you were at lunch, you talked about them. And again, like you just said, you can carry that right over into being a parent. You really need to create that relationship with your children so that they respect you. And, and I totally agree with what you were just saying about young leaders not, you know, feeling like they can be hard on their employees because they think they won't like them. And I think so many parents, especially nowadays, think if I punish my kids or I, you know, set really strict rules, they're not going to like me. And I, I always like to say, well, I'm, I don't want to be liked by my kids. Like, <laughs> I'm the parent. I'm not, I'm not necessarily supposed to be liked by them. So I'm here to make sure that they grow up into successful, happy, well-adjusted people as adults. They'll, re they'll recognize the value one day. They'll come back and thank you. It's going to be years yeah. later, but it's good. You know that in the moment, because you feel bad in the moment. That's how I, that's what I'm hoping. Right. But I felt like same thing happened with me and my mom. You know, I can remember moving out of my parents' house and going away to college and, and calling my mom almost on a daily basis and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't appreciate all of the things that you did for me. And you don't realize it till you're not there anymore, but <laughs> exactly. So keep um, the faith. Yeah, well, another thing, another part of your book, like a story part of your book in the beginning where you talk about how you and your wife really made sitting down as a family and having dinner together every night a priority. And I loved that. And that is something that I also try to do with my family. I really try to make a point of sitting down and not having the TV on or having phones at the table and having a conversation about our day. And I, I just really loved uh, your commitment to having that work life balance. Did you, did you find it difficult to have that work life balance, especially when you had, you know, the, the really nice jobs, the VP of magic kingdom, I imagine you were a pretty busy guy. Yeah, sure. I mean, it didn't happen every night. There's exceptions. And as a family, you get busy. The kids are going to soccer practice and mm -hmm. you, you do it when you can, and you find the opportunities when you can. And so you'd find it on maybe weekends or maybe two or three nights a week, but whenever you could make it happen, you would. And I was raised that way. My, my, my parents, the way they, they approached this was we're going to have dinner together when we can. My dad traveled a lot. He worked in hospitality. He wasn't always there, but when he was home, we had dinner together. There was no TV on. We talked and he was clear. My parents were clear. The dinner table is always a safe place. You were never going to get in trouble at the dinner table. You're never going to be lectured at the dinner table. They were going to associate the meal with being a family. Now, before, after dinner, <laughs> all, all rules were off. Yeah. <laughs> you messed up, you're grounded, you're punished, yeah. you're in deep trouble. Oh, no. But during dinner, it was a safe place to be. And so, you know, you wanted to have dinner because, you know, absence of everything else, you knew weren't, you weren't going to get in trouble, but it was a place to connect. And it's hard today. It's hard to do that because people's schedules are so crazy and people are doing all these things, but there's a lot of distractions that don't, you, you do have control over. You just have to decide. Absolutely. And my wife was, I mean, even the kids got to the point, no devices at the table. And if someone was peeking, including me and, you know, our, at the dinner table, the, the uh, phrase was holster that. And, you know, Margo, <laughs> our daughter, she was, you know, she's like eight. She's like, Papa holster that because <laughs> she oh knew the gosh, rule I the rule that. applied to I'm everybody gonna, i'm gonna have to use that because my husband is the one that usually ends up getting in trouble for trying to bring right. his phone to the table <laughs> yeah you need to have a rule and say they just can't be at the table it's like going into a, a bar in texas no guns allowed you know you leave them outside mm -hmm. so you put all your you put all your phones on the table you tell everyone hey if if for any reason something comes you have to get you have to get up from the table and go check and come back, but you don't check it at the table because we are connected mm -hmm. right now. We're talking to each other and we're paying attention. Yeah, we put, we put our phones in a like a different room at dinner, so we try to sit down like three days a week. It's like mandatory at first. You know, Sarah's like, "Oh, this is so boring." You know, she's the teenager, so she doesn't <laughs> want to hang out with us. You know, we're not cool anymore. So, but you know, my husband has no phone, so that's not a problem for him. <laughs> yeah. And this idea that, you know, that I know a lot of times uh, kids don't, they're not really interested in engaging. They're like, oh yeah, how was school? Good. Yeah. What'd you do? Nothing. And, mm -hmm. but if you, if you practice over time and you keep engaging and you keep engaging, eventually it's like an oyster. My wife says that sometimes she'll talk to the kids and 
the oysters open and she goes off oh, for 20 minutes. They just want to talk and then it's yep. closed again. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to hear from them for another two weeks. But there's those moments <laughs> yep. and you got to be ready for those moments when they're ready to share and they want to tell you something and they're, they're open. And that's exactly how it is at the teenage years that we're in right now. Yeah. So I'm not there yet. So I'm, yeah, I'm sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes we get a conversation. Sometimes we don't talk for days. Yeah. But they're watching, <laughs> they're observing. And even if they don't mm-hmm. communicate with you, your efforts are recognized and they know you care about them. And I just don't get the wrong message. We learn that over time is they're not engaged, but boy, they're, they're, they, they still need us. Absolutely. So along the same lines of that work home life balance, uh, of course, at Magical Traveling Moms, we're all about travel. So I was curious if you made family vacations part of that uh, work life balance and and if, you know, where did you and your family like to go on vacation? I, I'm imagining you went to Walt Disney World a lot or you, or you worked there. So I'm thinking you probably went on vacation other places. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, we, that's something else growing up. You know, my dad was with Marriott. I was an only child. So we only had three people in our family and we, we did travel a lot and we went to Europe and, we, and they took me places and I got this great exposure and we, we want to do that with our kids. And luckily, you know, my, my, you know, my dad retired in 2006 and uh, they lived in Orlando. So they, you know, our kids grew up a mile from them. So we went a lot of times on vacation as a family with my parents and us and our kids. And we would, you know, since Valerie's from France, that was a, a destination. Once my dad retired, we'd go to France every uh, summer. I'd only go for a couple of mm-hmm. weeks because I was working. But Valerie would go for a couple of weeks with the kids. They'd stay, they'd go to camp in France. So they had to learn to speak French. They, they, and they just, for them, France is like the best country ever. It gets dark in the summer at like 1030 at night. They have like 26 cousins. They go play out in the woods. You know, we explained to them, well, you're not here when it's cold and you have to go to school and all that. You only see the good part. <laughs> but they, we took them to Northern Africa, Tunisia. Ooh. We've been to, we went out on a you know, vacation there. We've been, so we've gone to a lot of really interesting places and taken them on all these sort of, I guess, adventures and not, you know, it's not like we had millions of dollars to spend, but we wanted to go to these places and see things. And once again, when you're going, it's always like, it's okay, but they still want to be on their phones. But now that they're older and they're telling their friends about, you know, what they've done, what they've been exposed to and what they've seen. They, they're realizing now how much exposure they've gotten. But once again, they don't recognize it in the moment. But years right. later, it all comes back again. And it's about making them uncomfortable too. You know, we've been places, you, you eat you eat everything, you try everything. We were went to South Africa and we went to uh, Soweto, which is like the largest shanty town in the world in Cape Town. No, in Johannesburg, outside Johannesburg. And it was like, they're like, you know, Margo's like, well, Papa, why are we here? Because you look around, I mean, literally we were the only white people for 50 miles. And she said, why are we here? I'm like, cause we're seeing these places where people live and we talked to people and just had these incredible and they were uncomfortable, but man, afterwards they're like, wow, they, they got to see the world. They didn't, they saw outside of their sort of privileged life in, in America mm-hmm. and saw that there's more out there. And now that they're getting older, it's all coming back, I think. And it's really making mm-hmm. them more well-adjusted, more open to other cultures and uh, so I think travel is a big deal. And of course, we've been on the fun vacations. We've been on the Disney Cruise Line. We've done the stuff <laughs> where, okay, we're not looking for any cultural stuff here. We're just going to go have fun. And we've done a lot <laughs> of that. Too. And uh, so just, it just that. depends. But we, we like spending time together as a family. That's amazing. I love that. That's exactly how I feel about our family. Our plan is to start traveling more internationally. Uh, my kids are 10 and seven right now. So we were kind of waiting for them to get a, a little older, but, and of course, you know, after COVID is over, <laughs> but, mm. but yeah, that's exactly what I want to do with our family too, is, you know, go to other countries and expose them to other cultures and other ways of life so that they can see something beyond, you know, our white picket fence, HOA community that we've always lived in. So I think that's great. It's a great learning for them. That's awesome. I need to be in your family. (laughs) All those amazing places. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you a quick story because it's funny how you don't know how these things impact them till later, but our daughter's working for a startup uh, company. And she, when this was like, 
five years ago, we went to Japan and we spent two weeks. We, we hiked Mount Fuji and we went to Tokyo oh, wow. and we went to Kyoto and we just had a great time. And the kids, you know, they'd go off into Tokyo by themselves. It's such a safe place and figured out the subway wow. and all that stuff. But anyway, so she's working for the startup and they, uh, the, the, the founder wanted to show them a commercial. And so we're going, we're doing international. We have an international online campaign and we're going to sell our product in Japan. And they showed them the video of, they took clips of all their, their media and at the end of it, and she was like, she'd been there two weeks. And at the end of it, they said, so what does everyone think, you know, on Zoom? And Margot waited and she said, well, is that the final clip of everything? And they said, yeah. I mean, she said, well, I, I see something maybe you may want to change. And they're like, well, okay, who's this new college kid that just graduated? Mm -hmm. She said, well, look, I don't know if this is going to be an issue, but when we were in Japan, there were signs everywhere. When you went to like a, a spa or a bath if you had a tattoo, you weren't allowed in. I mean, tattoos are very frowned upon in Japan oh, wow. and they're not really acceptable in mainstream culture. And they're associated with organized crime. And she said, one of our people in the, in the, in the film had a tattoo on their arm when they were showing the product. And that may be not the best thing to show. She goes, I have no problem with tattoos, but in Japan we may, and they're like, Oh my gosh, how did you know that? She goes, well, I was there on vacation with my parents. And I remember, I remember that. So once wow. again, you don't know, and you know, obviously they shouldn't be counting on some American college kids to know that they probably should get a consultant from Japan to tell them, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but she had that insight because she had traveled there. And mm -hmm. so it just, it opened your eyes to the world and just things you don't even know. You don't know. You start to realize. Yeah, exactly. And things you don't know, you don't know. That's exactly how I feel about it too. Yep. Yep. And I think with kids, when they travel, they just absorb way more than what we even realize. And, you know, with Sarah, she's only ever been like to the ocean in the Caribbean, has never seen it anywhere else. And that's something I know it sounds strange and calling your kids, you go, you know, to Myrtle and stuff all the time, but that's something so simple that we want to take her to because she's been exposed to so many other areas to realize that it's not always crystal blue waters, you know, and things like that. So well, here's a funny that. thing. If you talk to our kids and say, what's your favorite vacation ever? They're going to talk about all those places they went, but they're going to say our favorite vacation was in 09 when the whole world was falling apart and the great, the great recession. And we didn't go to France that year because we were worried about the economy. And we mm -hmm. got our minivan and we drove to Oklahoma near where my dad grew up and spent a week on the, the Lake Texoma there. And they thought that was the best vacation ever. We drove for oh, wow. you know, three days that they, they had the little TV in the car. So they watched like Pirates of the Caribbean over and over. Mm -hmm. Got there. They went tubing. <laughs> they got to go to the, drive the golf cart when they were like 10 years old, the general store and get ice cream. And they just thought that was fantastic. So it's funny what kids remember too, about the simple things. That is funny. Wow. That's amazing. That is fun. That is fun. So let's switch gears again. So on to a new topic. So you have a new adventure that with your consulting that you talked about at the beginning, and you have a group called The Perch, which I'm part of. Can you maybe tell our audience a little bit about it and what it is all about? Sure. Thanks for asking. So yes. when you, you, know, you run your own company, you're trying to figure out ways to engage people. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And I'd read about over the past couple of years, this idea of these online communities where people can connect, meet mm -hmm. people and network, help each other. And I was interested and I thought about, it, but we were, you know, we were busy, we were building the company and we were writing the book and I didn't really have time to focus on it. And then during the quarantine period, you know, we're now, everything got canceled. All the speeches got canceled. All the workshops got canceled all the international travel got canceled. So Valor and I are home in Orlando saying, okay, this entrepreneurship thing was fun until no one hired us <laughs> and people stopped calling. So what do we do now? And, and we said, well, we got to do something. So Margo, our daughter and Valerie worked on creating an undergrad college course. And Margo's like, yep, I know it's 13 weeks. There's two classes a week. We need reading quizzes. So they created that. And we're now um, piloting that. And the other thing wow. we did during the quarantine, we, I sent out a note to my email community, everyone I sent my article of the week to. And I said, hey, who would like to get online every week and connect and talk about what's going on and just you know talk to each other? Because we're all stuck at home. Why not use technology? So we had, a, a, I think, probably 250 people responded. So we created 10 groups and Monday through Friday on a two week rotation from one to two o'clock every uh, afternoon, I'd have a group on like 12, 14 people on and people from 
the United States, entrepreneurs, executives, Canadians, Air Force pilot from Uruguay, people in Australia. And we just had all these people get on and just talk. Mm. And, uh, and it was, it was awesome. And then we did it for free. And for three months we did it. And then as things started to loosen up and we started getting busy again, we told everyone, Hey, we're going to go on hiatus and thank you. And what I realized is I learned a ton about managing an online community by doing that three months during the quarantine. And so I talked to my partner, Jody, we do our podcast together. I said, why don't we launch something and just see how it goes? And so we thought about it and we thought about what do we wanted it to be. And we launched it a few months ago and it's a subscription community and you pay per month and we have a, a private Facebook site. So we all can communicate on the Facebook site and we post articles and people help kind of network and help each other out. We create, we have a call once a month just with the, the main group. And then I created four interest groups because I love the interaction piece. So we create an interest group who the topic is entrepreneurship. So once a month we have a Zoom call and the topic is just talk about entrepreneurship. If you're an entrepreneur or you want to be an entrepreneur or you have questions, let's all share with each other what we know. We have a group around leadership and management. We have a group around creativity and innovation. And we have a group I create called Life Transitions, which has been interesting. And it's just kind of people who are thinking about doing something different in their life, making a career change. We have a group that talks about that. And then my favorite group is Show and Tell. And, you know, people say, what's that? I said, remember in kindergarten when you show and tell and you got to bring something in and talk about it. I said, that's what we're going to do. So we did that. And actually yesterday we had our, our show and tell group. And one of our members is a um, police officer. And I said, can you, can you talk to the group about how you pull a car over and what the procedure is? He did a one hour PowerPoint presentation on what the constitution says you can do, all the amendments that allow you to be pulled over, search and seizure. Then he got into the tactics of what a police officer had to do, had to do it safely, what you can do, what you can't do. And we learned about that. And next month we have someone else doing something on cybersecurity. So these are just random topics, but it's been really fun to watch everyone interact with each other and connect with each other and share thoughts and help each other. And we have just over 50 people at this point on the community. And the idea is not only is it for um, us to facilitate conversation, but everyone that I think the culture of that, that group is everyone are very open to contribute mm -hmm. and help. And, and it's not about getting on and trying to sell your product. It's about helping each other thrive and figure things out. And I've loved it. And it helps me think about things because, you know, I'm, I'm used to being with lots of people all the time. 26 years at Disney, I was with people every day. And now it's my wife and I. So it's a great outlet for me to talk to people. And I thrive in that environment to get new ideas about articles to write or business to do or maybe a future book. And it's a, it's a connection point. Yeah, I love it. I, I need to join the show and tell one. Sorry, I missed that one yesterday. Yeah, yeah, no worries. <laughs> well, the other cool thing is we record every session. And we, yes, and we post yeah. it. So if people can't make all of them, we have a couple of people in Australia that always can't be there because the time difference, but we, we keep all the recorded versions so people can go watch them again and just see what was learned. So, you know, not everyone makes everything. Everyone's busy. They got busy lives and busy jobs, mm -hmm. but it's a place where in the old world, maybe you went to the coffee shop and sat every day with a group and talked and you can't do that today. So we have this community now where you can meet people you never would have met ever if you hadn't been here. And it's, it's a quality group. It is. It's very cool. I've been enjoying it uh, quite a bit and learned a lot and actually have connected with a lot of different people, like you said, from, you know, around the globe. So it really is a lot of fun and a great learning experience. So I think one of the positive things that we can say came out of the pandemic is that businesses and, and people in their personal relationships, we've had to really think outside the box on how to connect with people and get creative about how to collaborate and share ideas or just, you know, hang out. And I think, I think that's a really great platform for businesses to come together and try to help each other. Yeah. We used to tell our, our son, you know, he had, he'd be in his room and we hear like, yeah, hey, hey, what did, and then we talked about dinner and like, why don't you go out and like, see your friends and this was before the pandemic. We're like, back in our day, we were in a <laughs> yeah. car. We're driving around and seeing, he goes, yeah. he goes, I do hang out with my friends. I see him every night. And our son, you know, he's our oldest son is 25 now. And he grew up and even now he plays online chess with friends he had in kindergarten. And he, and I think we've learned, and I heard someone say the pandemic has probably accelerated our adoption of technology by five years because, you know, I'm doing keynotes now on, mm -hmm. on, on, on a Zoom 
no one would have accepted that before. They would say, no, you have to be there in person. It's not the same right. on Zoom. And now everyone's realizing, well, you know what? It may not be the same on Zoom, but it's what we have. And you you have to learn how to focus and don't yeah. be distracted and in, actually engage. So I think it's been great because m- people who are doubtful about work from home or doubtful about using technology to get work done have had had been forced to do it and 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 forced to be successful at it because you got to keep your business running. And yeah, uh, absolutely. I think it's great. I don't think the the world of meet, meeting people live in person is gone. I think we always need that human it live, but I think there's something to be said for this connection. And, you know, people, you hear about kids today, they play video games and they're like lonely and they don't get that social interaction. I think we have an opportunity to, to recreate that with, with, with technology and get them more comfortable with that. And especially for our old, us older people to realize this is, you know, it, we better adopt this because it's coming fast and it's going to keep coming. And eventually <laughs> right. we're going to have virtual reality. You're going to put your virtual reality goggles on and you're all going to be yeah. sitting with each other and talking with each other, just like you're right there. I mean, it's going, it's, it's, it's going really fast. And so adopting it is going to be really important for everyone, especially travel agents. I mean, we're working with real estate agents right now. We're like, it's coming. People are going to sit home and tour all the houses and never go to the house. And they're going to buy houses without ever having visited it. Cause they got to be there virtually and, you know, and see everything, see the lighting by time of day, they're going to walk through the house. They're going to get to put their furniture in it. So it's all coming fast and it's just a matter of us uh, being ready to, I think, adapt and use it for our benefit. No, I agree with that 100%. I know like my daughter, her and all her friends, they get together like every other week on a big Zoom call and they have a topic and they have a discussion and they each put together a presentation and they, they give a full on presentation of the topic and they're, they're on there for maybe three or four hours. And, and they do, you know, I think this week might be their topic is Disney movies. So they're, and they've done Broadway show topics and, you know, they're just super creative. And it's a mix of kids. And so just got super creative with it. And we hear her up in a room laughing and giggling and having a good time. So that's really awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. She, she, this week she informed me and I don't know if she was kissing up to me for some reason, but she's like, I picked your favorite. I'm doing all the Tinkerbell movies. I'm like, Oh, there okay. you go. <laughs> yeah. But that's so creative, you know, because, you know, I always am worried about when my kids get to be teenagers, they're just going to sit around and play video games and not, you know, do anything enriching or productive or really connecting with their friends. So that's, I'm really impressed that, you know, they would get together and do something like that. I think that's very cool. How to, how to Mm -hmm. communicate a message, how to use the technology, how to, Mm -hmm. you know, speak in front of a group. I mean, there's some there's all that's, that's packed, I think with leadership and management skills that they're going to realize later is very helpful. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, we, we actually have some fun questions for you. So we, we asked our audience if they, if they could ask you anything, what would they want to know about Walt Disney World? So they, they, we came up with seven questions. So Colleen's going to start us off with them. Okay, so what is your favorite attraction at Magic Kingdom? Yeah, so <laughs> you know, it's I, I always I'm always scared of the what's your favorite. I'm like, I'll give you a top five, but this okay. one I'll tell you, I'm not I won't do a top five, but when I was like two or three years old, we lived in Van Nuys, California, and my dad was worked for Hilton back then. And I just I don't even I remember vaguely going to Disneyland once, but I remember the smell of Pirates of the Caribbean, that chlorine kind of smell, oh, yes. musty smell. And it's mm-hmm. funny, they say odor is one of the number one drivers of memory, you know, jogging memory. Yeah. And so every time mm-hmm. I go into Pirates on a hot day, it's cool in there and it's got that musty smell. And I think, you know, if you go on Etsy, I think they do like the smells of different attractions and you can get like- They do. I was just going to say, you can get a candle that yeah. smells like the Pirates. Yeah. <laughs> I have that candle. Do you really? Yeah. yeah. So I love Pirates. I mean, it's a great attraction. Such a classic- <laughs> But that idea of it really trans it takes you back to when you're a little kid and it was like such a big deal to go over that waterfall. It seems so big and it's not really that big now. So yeah. I love I love pirates. Yeah. I would also have a hard time picking my favorite. I'm with you. I, I always hate that question because I'm like, but I don't know. I like them all. I know, I know. <laughs> 
Oh, my. so what, so what is, I'm like lost. So what is your favorite park at Disney and why? Do you have a favorite one? Yeah. You know, it, it, I have a couple of favorites over time for different reasons. I worked on the college program in 1989 and Disney's Hollywood studios had just opened and it was just such a cool place. I mean, they just, you know, it was this brand new thing and I love that Hollywood thing and the art deco and that whole theme. I've always enjoyed that. So I, it's a really, it's a really cool park for me architecturally and the diners. I, I remember telling my parents, I'm like, man, I was, I love growing up the eighties, but boy, if I had to pick another decade, it would have been the fifties. It's such a cool decade to grow up in, in, in my mind. So I love the studios, but when it comes to, I guess our family Epcot, just, you know, I was, well, let me see. My wife worked there first. So she, in 1987, she was working on the fellowship program, at the French pavilion for a year. So she worked there. Then she went back to France. And then when I joined Disney for my full-time job, I parked cars in the parking lot of Epcot. And then during a management exchange program at Disneyland Paris, I came and was a frontline manager in guest relations at Epcot. And then I went back four years later and I was an operations manager at Epcot and ran the American venture and the Japanese pavilion and open test track. And, and then I went back 10 years after that was the vice president of, of Epcot. So starting there parking cars and ending up there being the vice president was awesome. Wow. Valerie was the, yeah. the retail assortment planner for the millennium celebration at Epcot after she'd worked the French pavilion, our son, was uh, weighted tables the French Pavilion when he was in college for a summer, mm -hmm. and he worked in horticulture at Epcot when he was 16 years old. Our daughter has worked in horticulture at Walt Disney World and pulled weeds at Epcot, and our son, <laughs> our youngest son, works at Epcot full time right now at the at the French Pavilion Food and Beverage. So literally, the whole family has worked at Epcot, and wow. uh, we we my wife worked there before we knew each other. I worked there when we were married. I worked there when we had one kid and two kids and three kids and all our kids worked there. So it's a pretty special place. Wow. That's amazing. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the next question is what is your favorite place to dine at, at the magic kingdom? Favorite place to dine. I would say the the newest, of course, I'm, I'm blanking. It, Skipper's Canteen. That's and, my favorite too. <laughs> and I know I know a lot of people are like, well, it's not a classic. It's one of the newest table service. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not. It wasn't there when it opened. There's other places, but it was. It's got such a cool storyline to it. Um, when we opened it, we took all the the fun of the Jungle Cruise and brought that into it. All the stories that go along with it. All the rooms. Mm -hmm. Each one is themed differently. The menu was is pretty and for Disney standards, pretty exotic. I mean, you can buy the, you know, have the whole fish. I, I don't think they have it anymore. We had the lionfish for a long time there where, you know, head on and tail on and you eat the fish. Yeah. So it was a great food, great theme, and just a real positive atmosphere in a very traditional place. You know, the veranda used to be there, the quick service location. So there's a lot of history in that part of the park and it's just a cool restaurant. That is one of my favorites. I, I still think, I think they have the best, the best food, the best menu there. Yep. Agreed. I haven't eaten there yet. Oh. I know. Well, I have picky eaters in my house, so I have to go when I go by myself. Yeah. I'll they probably go. wouldn't go for the whole fish. No, no, no. Probably no they would not. <laughs> <laughs> are, are your kids big Disney fans? Are they? Yeah. I mean, they're not crazy Disney fans, but you know, they, it, I think it's different because they grew up there. We go for, mm -hmm. you know, on a weekend, we go for a couple hours and go eat there. And as they got older, it got more expensive. Cause like, can we go to the food and wine festival? I'm like, how about you just ride the rides? Cause those are free. You know, you, yeah. you can spend 50 bucks at the food and wine <laughs> festival without even thinking about it. But um, yeah. yeah, they, they have great memories of working there and growing up there. And we had, you know, we'd go to the Christmas parties, we go to the Halloween parties, we take them, you know, we lost mm -hmm. our son there one time I'm like, all right, now we get to see what it's like to be a guest who lost a three-year-old. <laughs> let's see if, oh, no. No. let's see if the system works. And it did, they found oh, no, that's good. but, um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they enjoyed their time there. And we have, you know, when you work at Disney a long time, you gather a lot of memorabilia. So they all have a few pieces of, of souvenirs from, from growing up there. So awesome. <laughs> I love that. So you, we already kind of talked about places you went on vacation with your family, but do you have a favorite vacation destination? 
You know, that one, I definitely can't answer because we've been so many fun places mm -hmm. and, and just seeing all kinds of different things. I think probably one of my favorite vacations, because as you said before, we don't really take big vacations to Disney because that's where we were for so, for so many years. So usually mm -hmm. people say, what do you do on vacation? I say, we usually go to where there's nobody. And that's why we went to the desert in Tunisia and Morocco. But even in Tunisia, you know, we stumbled upon the the set of Star Wars, right? Because that's where they did the original Star Wars oh, in Tunisia. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, wow. You, you, you can't escape Disney. They're everywhere. But um, <laughs> probably one of the best vacations I've ever had, Valerie's cousin, it was her her 50th birthday, her cousin's 50th birthday. And we went to uh, Tahiti and they rented a, a catamaran and we sailed in Tahiti for uh, 10 days with no internet, no connection. So back in Florida, there was a hurricane. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going on, but I learned over time at Disney, you can't, if you're going on vacation, you got to turn everything off and deputize somebody and say, look, mm -hmm. you're in charge now, because if you don't do that, you try to operate on during vacation mm -hmm. from some remote location. It doesn't work. So I turned off everything and we were just totally, I read like four books. We played charades we just, it, it was just, it was incredible not having any news, any internet, any email, anything for 10 days. And I'm a big fan of that. We haven't done it since, but I, I'd like to go back and do that again. That disconnection was pretty, pretty incredible. It sounds amazing. And in Tahiti of all places. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, just, you yeah. know, literally you'd see people, you know, there's great resorts there. You'd see people canoeing to work, right? The guy who like runs the you know, it's working at the bar. He, he, he's paddling across from his village to the resort, parks his boat, gets up, works for the day. And then on the way home, he throws his hook out the back and catches dinner on the way back and takes his wow. beer home and has dinner. And so it's a talk about a simple, beautiful life. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if most Americans could live like that, you know, cause it's so simple. We're not used to that. Yeah. Well, quick story. Cause like I said, we've met some incredible people. I met a guy in Tahiti. Mm -hmm. It's and. I was talking to him and he was speaking French, you know, they, there was a French mm -hmm. associate with France and he had a, I could tell he wasn't a native there. And we chatted and I said, you know, you sound like you have a different accent. And he started speaking English. He said, well, I'm from San Francisco. I said, well, what are you doing here? He and his wife who was Tahitian after college, he and his friend bought a boat in San Francisco a sailboat and they sailed to Hawaii and they got wow. to Hawaii and sold the boat and from Hawaii, sometime, somehow he made his way another, I don't know, what's it, a thousand miles south to Tahiti and wow. lived there, met his wife, and they run a vanilla farm and they grow vanilla. And that's what they live off of. And he's been there for 30 years and he's been back to the United States once in 30 years after sailing from San Francisco after college to Tahiti. And I'm just like, wow. I'm like, you must be, you have to be on a documentary or something. This is like some, he's like, well, it's no big deal. We live here and we just enjoy a simple life, but it's true. We're so used to all these, all this entertainment and all this distraction mm -hmm. and all these things coming at you to learn to slow down and enjoy simpler things is hard. It takes training, you know, you got to practice it. I agree. I agree. I would say one thing with the pandemic that has done for our family is slowing down. Yeah. Cause we're like, we talked about earlier, we're always on the go, always busy. My daughter's like heavy into theater. So there's voice lessons and acting lessons and theater classes and shows. And so it has definitely has been nice to slow down, yeah. but it was hard. Yeah. And I tell you to. something we learned was uh, board games. So if, if it's, I was at uh, the other day, I was at target and and we, and we hadn't done it in a long time, but just go to Target or Walmart or wherever, buy a board game, buy Monopoly, buy Parcheesi, just buy a game, go home. And your kids are gonna be like, well, how does, where are the batteries? You're like, no, no, it's a board game. <laughs> and just see, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. Well, my family will not play Monopoly with me because I've never lost Ooh. ever. Even oh. since I was a teenager. Well, do you keep the bank? Are you in charge of the bank? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. Some, well, sometimes. Uh, so, just but but we do have like kind of special rules, right? <laughs> Monopoly rules. Right. So, right. Anyway, but I've never lost. Okay. Well, there's a gauntlet's been thrown down. Yeah. So they're mm. gonna play it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact about me. <laughs> 
So, so Dan, we're going to wrap things up here, but before we go, we always like to ask our guests to share what we call a pixie dust moment. So it's just a special memory that has always stood out with you, you know, with you personally, that has always stayed with you, you know, something maybe you'd like to share from either Walt Disney or personal family one with our audience. Boy, that could be a five hour podcast. There's just so many, just so many incredible moments when you're working at Disney and you're dealing with all the things and seeing all the, the birthdays and the anniversaries and the, and the proposals and the last trips and the Mm -hmm. kids who are never going to come back again. I mean, Mm -hmm. just, it's just, there's just, it was emotional every day. You just got used to seeing all these family memories being made. But one of the things that stuck with me, it's probably much simpler, but I just got a thrill out of it. You know, working at Disney, being in hospitality, you have to love to serve people and make people happy. And, you know, I tell friends of mine from college that they're like, man, you drank the Kool-Aid. Like, (laughs) what about making money? I'm like, no, I like to make money too, but I really enjoy making people happy. And that's why I think I love working at Disney so much. If you don't like that, it's a pretty miserable place to work if you don't like helping people. So I I came up with, uh, you know, there's this idea, you want to create magic for guests but you also want to create these magic for your employees to get them. And, and, and I was always looking for ways to bring, make these special moments for the employees to remind them how great it was to work at Disney. And so I would, when we had the, either the Halloween or the Christmas parties in the, in the fall and the winter on the nights we weren't sold out, I would go to guest relations and I'd have them print like 50 extra comp tickets and at first I'm like, this is going to be fun. As people are leaving the park at seven, I'm going to look for families and I'm going to say, Hey, where are you going? And they're going to say, well, we know you close at seven. And then I'm going to see, and some families are going to say, well, yeah, we have a, another, we have a dinner reservation where we're going somewhere else. And some families say, well, we didn't know you were closing at seven tonight and we really can't afford to stay for the party. And then you'd say, well, tell you what, I'd like to invite you to stay. And you'd give them tickets and turn them back around and have them go in. That was cool. But then wow, I kind of took the next leap. I said, you know what? This this is selfish of me to, to create the magic. I'm getting this like incredible moment. It's making me feel so great. So the next story I did was we'd have all these overtime people come work at the park um, for the parties. Lots of college program kids or people from different places. So I'd, I'd take these 50 tickets and I would find like eight or 10 different employees that were working at the main entrance. And I'd say, hey, I'm Dan. I'm the vice president of the park. Thanks for being here tonight. I have a deal for you. Do you want it? Would you, you want to make a deal? And they'd say, well, okay. I said, all right, here are eight tickets for tonight's party. I said, you can give them to whoever you want. You just find out what the, who's, who do you think is the right family, the right couple, the right people. You can give them to whoever you want. The only deal is you have to leave me a voicemail tonight. Here's my number and tell me the story of what happened. And it was my favorite time of year. So, Every night during the parties, I'd get, I'd come in in the morning and I'd have like eight, 10 voicemails. And most people actually left a voicemail. Some people didn't, but Hey, Dan, you won't believe it. There was a family and they, they were, they'd been saving up for years to come to Disney and they didn't realize Magic Kingdom was closing early. And there was like eight of them. They said, there's no way they could afford to stay. And I said, well, look, Mickey Mouse gave me some tickets and wanted me to invite you. And the mom started crying and the kids started like jumping up and down and so for me, it was like double whammy. I got to hear this, this tone in the customer's voice about I was able to give away. And these aren't cheap tickets, you know, and, and mm-hmm. to empower the cast members to say, you give them whoever you want and you create a magical moment. And to hear that story and hear how the guests reacted was one of my favorite moments. And I just, I, I wow. love that. It was, it was one of my favorite parts of my job. I'm crying. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. What a great, oh, that's just amazing. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, from a business perspective, it costs us nothing because if you're not sold out, okay, you have maybe 50 more people in the park that night and it's not going to cost us anything. So it was always fun. And those are the, you know, those are the Disney stories. You want people to go home and say, you'll never believe what happened to me. I mean, how often you go somewhere and they just invite you back in for free. I mean, it just doesn't happen anywhere. No, but for those 50 people every night, it did happen. And hopefully, you know, everyone is looking to create those, those lifelong memories because they're going to tell stories and the next person's going to come and that's how you build your business. Wow. That's amazing. Just amazing. 
Amazing. Well, thank you, Dan, so much um, for being on our podcast. We truly appreciate it. We'll have to have you back. Maybe next time we can have Valerie on with you. I would love to be back. If you thought this was fun, you should hear Valerie. I've, I've talked to people like, why don't you have Valerie more? Where are you putting her? I'm like, I got to get her to get on because she's always like, well, no, no one wants to hear from me. I'm like, yes, they do more than me. Believe me. So we'll have her on next time and we'll talk. And this was awesome. Y'all did a great job. We were talking about before. I've done lots of podcasts, but I love the your enthusiasm and the prep you gave me. So great, great job on this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We were a little nervous. So So was I. (laughs) I always. Oh, well, thanks so much. That makes me feel a little better that you're still nervous after all the times you've probably spoken. When I grew up playing sports and then eventually I became a public speaker, I'm like, if you're not a little nervous, that's a problem. You should always have that little edge. You want to do well. Yep. I I agree. I agree. Well, thanks so much. Thank you very much. You'll take care. Yep. You too, Dan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dan. Bye. Bye. Well, that is all we have for today. So until next time, we hope that all of your travels are magical.